One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Welcome into Critical Thinking on this Uncomfortable Truth Thursday here on the program. It is myself at the Coppins Show. Also alongside me is at the Pat Oni Show. Um, Pat, it is Thursday. Have you have you game planned out what you're going to be talking about this weekend on the Pat Oni Show? That POS. Uh, well, I, I'm part of the show. I'm actually going to replay the interview from the other day uh, with Steve Days. So, um, part of the second half of my show will be that. The first half of the show, I'm actually I'm toying with a couple different ideas, so I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Um, but one of which might be more of a breakdown of Steve's book um, in doing what you believe. But but looking at it from a um, just a principled standpoint and kind of just laying some some truths out there is what I'm what I'm playing around with right now. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens though. I might I might take the first half a different direction. We'll see. Depends on what happens. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now the good news is that uh, Steve Dace. Um interview has helped uh, grow our base a little bit so thank you to everybody who has subscribed to the rumble page um over the past week again that is rumble.com backslash critical thinking rumble.com backslash critical thinking if you're new to the program thank you so much for tuning in you can listen to us starting on podcast or on our rumble page at noon eastern time every single monday through friday and of course, you are always welcome to listen on Mojo Five O Radio. We are there at 5 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Um, the difference between the podcast and and the um, uh, the situation on Mojo is just time, and uh, you you'll skip through fewer commercials, if you will, uh, when we go through the Rumble page and when you go to um, the podcast. So. You have options as to how you want to listen to us each and every day. Thanks to everyone who listens, who watches, however you consume this program. Let us know what your favorite way to consume the program is. Again, I'm at The Coppin Show on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Getter. Pat is at The Pat Oni Show on virtually all those same social media platforms. 
Um, <coughs> so yeah, just interact with us on a daily basis. Um, we we love our wonderful friends on social media. Now, Pat, um, yesterday, uh, the president of the United States of America got up in front of the nation and spoke. Now, one of the things that I, I want to preface this, Pat, what was one of the major contentions that I had about Joe Biden and his candidacy for president in 2020? One of the major things that I said that was good about his candidacy from a, if you want to win perspective. Uh, if you want to win perspective, don't let him speak. Bingo. Yeah. They hid him in his basement. And as frustrating as some people found it, it was brilliant strategy. Why? Because you can, number one, control the environment, which is always your goal in communications, right? You don't want to be right. ambushed. You don't want to be put into situations uh, in which you, you could potentially risk injuring your image or your candidacy, right? Number two, um, it also allowed them to um, put a teleprompter in front of him or put notes in front of him or put him in front of really friendly in, uh, interviews. And then right. number three, it allowed him to stay on message as much as possible. And that didn't even work in certain times. And we'll get into that later. But my whole contention is that because the media has been in, in the pocket of leftism for a very long time, they were never going to push back on that strategy, right? Now, if Donald Trump attempted to hide in his basement or in his palatial um, estate at Mar-a-Lago, right? If he tried to hide out, they'd be all over his ass, right? It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't right. have worked the same way. But it works for Biden. And, be, and it does the main thing that it does is it hides his big time weakness and that is his mental capacity but yesterday we had the president of the united states get out in front of the cameras in a press conference in which it is largely as uncontrolled of an environment as you could put him in front of yes right yes because absolutely. while the press may have some questions and you may be able to you know give him a list of people to call on which is very frequent um you can't control the questions that are going to be asked you might be able to pre-screen them which would be ridiculously stupid in a violation of freedom of the press but um you you still have a highly uncontrolled environment and he stepped in it right uh-huh and what did conservative media do when he stepped in it, Pat? Oh, they, they had a field day with it is what they did. Yeah, you want to talk about conservative media porn? <laughs> it was that. I'm not kidding you, because what, the Daily Wire wrote at least 10 articles on it? Um, I, 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 I mean, Red State, The Blaze, everybody, and everybody's talking about it. But, Pat, my contention yesterday, and I wrote this on Twitter, is that many of us keep tuning into these Biden pressers as if they matter at all. And my contention is that there is only one of them that will matter. 
and it's the one in which he pulls a Boris Johnson and declares the federal mask mandates dead. Because once that happens, what is the state and local? Well, this is the unraveling, right? And we saw part of this, right? The 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 off ramp, the the way, and the signal that um, maybe we should stop doing all these crazy things came when Biden said, "Federally, we have no control. We can't do anything about Omicron." or Omicron, right? Yet here we are still with the mask mandates, vaccine passports, you know, um, you unwashed masses, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Until then, I continued on Twitter. Why give this senile man any more attention? What's what's a you on that? Hmm. Well, I understand where you're coming from. And yes, the the Boris Johnson like press conference from a Joe Biden presidency would would certainly matter. But other than that, what what does anything that this man has to say matter? It matters to a point because it helps. I think it would help the American people if they're truly paying attention at the end of the day. It helps the American people understand the sad state that we're in. It helps the American people understand, oh, crap, we voted for the wrong guy in twenty in 2020. It helps them understand we've been duped. We need to pay attention to these people. And that includes Joe Biden himself, by the way, mm. to understand what in the hell is really going on. In that sense, they matter. It, it, does but Joe do Biden himself? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. Does Joe Biden himself really matter? I would contend probably not, but it's not him that that we ultimately have to pay attention to. It's his handlers and how his handlers get out in front of what he says, not so much Joe Biden himself. So in that sense, yes, listening to what, what he has to say does matter. Okay. And the reason I said that and the reason I asked that is partially because of what you said. Because he doesn't even understand the words that are coming out of his mouth nine times out of ten. Right. So why pay attention? Why? Right. Now, having thought through this a little bit more, I think I might have been a little bit wrong. And it's important in critical thinking to admit when you're wrong. It's important in life to admit when you're wrong. And here's where I was wrong, Pat. When he begins to saber rattle... When he begins to speak senile to the world and gets us into a situation we may not be able to get out of on the international stage, it matters. And yesterday he had what he said when it came to Russia and the Ukraine. Very scary. Yeah. Because what what he says matters there, right? And so I think that's the part that I I think we have to pay attention to is when he's talking off the cuff and not off the prompter. Because it's that time that we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Because when it comes to foreign policy, 
if he's talking from the prompter, it is the State Department talking. It is the Secretary of State. It is his handlers talking, right? Nothing, nothing could necessarily go wrong there because they're not going to look out for, or they're not going to look to provoke war necessarily, unless war has already been provoked from the other side. I, I, I firmly believe that. I really do. I don't see us starting a war to start a war. I, I, it doesn't make any sense, especially when it comes to Russia. Right. Now, having said that, our president basically said, go ahead and annex Ukraine. He basically said that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Ukraine's a NATO ally, are they not? I don't know if they're in NATO, but they are part of the treaty, right? So I think part of the treaty is that we will, will, we will protect the uh, Ukraine. I'm not 100% sure which is the case. They, they originally were not part of NATO. I know that. But I think they might have become part of NATO relatively recently. I don't know the full history. And again, part of critical thinking is admitting when you don't know something. Well, so here's here's my my contention there. So um, if they if they are part of the treaty, wouldn't we be going against said treaty and and, and failing to uphold that treaty if we let Russia take the Ukraine? I mean, I, I don't I don't know this for a hundred percent sure. I I'm just throwing this out there. Like, isn't that isn't that what we would be doing? Yeah, I, I get where you're going. Uh, and by mm. the way, they are not a full member of NATO. Okay. Um, now, in 2020, Ukraine joined NATO's Enhanced Opportunity Partner Interoperability Program. I don't even know what that means. My head hurts. Yeah. It does not prejudge any decision on NATO membership. Um. So I guess my my contention is this. We have a president who is so senile, so out of his own mind, and it is nothing that... I don't ascribe ulterior motives to him, okay, right now. They're not his motives. I feel sorry for him. I I feel empathy for him. Having gone through parts of this in, with multiple people in my family, it's not easy dealing with people who are losing their mental faculties. It's also not easy to tell them, hey, you can't do your job anymore. But as we sit on the brink of Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan in those situations, this is where presidential leadership matters because you have to know who's in place diplomatically, right? Who's on your diplomatic team? Who, who can you trust? Who do you not trust? Where do they stand? What are they going to do? What is your position? How is that conveyed? All of that wonderful goodness matters deeply right now because one wrong step and there's something that we can't come back from one way or the other by the yeah. way. And I'm not I'm not judging one way or the other, right? You know my stance. 
the non-aggression principle. Right. That's my stance. But at the same point in time, we have this entangled alliance, right, with Taiwan, with Ukraine. And going back on those words, like we kind of did in Afghanistan, I would argue, matters. It really does because it matters to those that we try to do um, either militarily or financially or trade. When we try to do those deals, when we try to do treaties and things like that, it matters, right? How can we trust your word? And so I think part of my statement was wrong, but part of it is correct in that domestically, who gives a crap? Why give this man any more power over your life? He doesn't rule you. He doesn't rule me. He doesn't rule anybody. And, and until he gets up and gives us our freedom, right, and says no more of this on the federal level, no more. And that thread completely unravels. Until that happens, nothing he says domestically matters. And I can prove it with some financial numbers. I can prove it with his poll numbers. I can prove it with all sorts of things, right? Right. None of it matters. None of what he says matters domestically. And there's no greater proof, Pat, of that than the lack of the ability to whip his side of the aisle into getting his agenda passed. Again, we our contention is that it's not his agenda. It is the agenda of his handlers. It is the agenda of the people he surrounds himself with. And that, again, as we, as we talked about the 2020 election, I didn't like a lot of what Donald Trump had to say, but the reality of the situation is this. I would trust that the people around Donald Trump were much more on our side in leaning that direction than anything to do with the handlers and the people that he was signaling would surround him on the other side. I don't trust the socialist as far as I could throw him. I don't trust any of those people. Look at all the people that surround him economically, financially, um, spiritually. I don't trust any of them. Foreign policy, I don't know if you could trust them. Right? But my, my larger point was this. He can't even get his agenda through when they hold both parts of Congress and the Senate. They hold all the cards. And arguably, they also hold the Supreme Court at times. Is, is this not the most incompetent Congress since the 2016 GOP controlled Congress. I mean, because here, here's, here's my contention with this. That 2016 GOP Congress didn't really get a lot done. They really didn't. I think the 2020 Congress is uh, getting even less done than that 2016 GOP Congress did. What, what of the Biden administration agenda have they passed? Infrastructure, the um, 500 million um, KN95 masks, 
The at-home testing kits, Pat. Oh, wait. That infrastructure bill has stalled in the Senate, right? Uh-huh. Um, that uh, Build Back Better plan. Uh-huh. How about H.R. 1? I mean, the Freedom to Vote Act. Uh-huh. Um, wait, that didn't pass either. Okay. Yeah, I get where you're. I get what you're putting down here, and that's my point: is that none of what he speaks matters. None of it domestically, internationally. I think it does, because he represents the word of America, and Putin, and Xi Jinping, and all other world leaders are going to take him seriously. Whether we should take that seriously or not, they do. Whether he should be speaking on anything foreign policy or not, they take his words seriously. And when he fumbles like he did yesterday, it matters. That part matters. It absolutely does because it's it's a difference between the potential of life and death of American troops, right? Right. And so that part of it matters. But to your point domestically, how, I, I think this, and, and we talked about this off air, Pat. Two principled individuals named Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. As much as I don't think that we would agree on much in terms of policy, they're showing us more so than the Republican Party what principles look like. And I said this off here. Here's the uncomfortable truth. If it weren't for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, most of his domestic agenda would pass not on a 51 or 52 to every Republican, right? It wouldn't go that right. way. It wouldn't be a 50-50 vote or a 51 or 52-person vote. It'd be in the 60s or 70s. Because here's the uncomfortable truth. Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin are not just holding up, quote-unquote, these legislative uh, uh, pieces to the Biden agenda. They are providing cover for multiple GOP senators who otherwise would vote for this crap. People like Mitt Romney. Yeah. People like Lindsey Graham. That's the uncomfortable truth here is that we owe a debt of gratitude to Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, not because they're standing up to their party, right? But because they realize that the principle of the issue matters and that without it, and maybe we don't owe a debt of gratitude in this respect, but um, without it, those people would be exposed. And they get to hide behind that, right? They don't have to vote. They don't have to put their name behind it. It's very easy to sit in the sit on the sidelines and not say a word, right? But when it comes push to shove, and you now have to vote, where where are you going to stand? Because the reality of the situation is that fifty two votes, it doesn't matter which way you vote, right? right? It would go through. 
So the cover of the cover or the need for you to vote no goes away, right? So why not vote your conscience? The reality is the multiple members of the GOP in the Senate and in the House like the Build Back Better plan. They like the infrastructure. How do we know so, Pat? They voted for trillions. And by my count, about four to five trillion dollars worth of quote unquote economic stimulus during the pandemic. Yep. They voted <clears throat> to allow Donald Trump to shut us all down. They're the ones who started all of this. Therein lies the uncomfortable truth, like I said, Pat. The uncomfortable truth is that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are providing cover for multiple GOP senators who would otherwise vote for this. But they are also showing you what principles look like. And not that they're standing up to their own party. It's that they realize that the mechanisms that are at play in the Senate matter. That without it, what happens when you're not in power anymore? And that without it, this is how things like Hitler taking over the Reichstag happen. When you put the, the fail-safes away, right? When you strip away the fail-safes of our government, when you strip away the ability for the minority to have a voice, when you strip away all of those things and you you know, put the guardrails down, this is how totalitarian government happens. Read your history on how Hitler transformed into their leader, right? How he transformed. He did it legally by transforming the Reichstag. Now, I want to be abundantly clear. I'm not saying that uh, Joe Biden is is a murderous, thuggish dictator, you know, who wants to, to kill people because of their religious or ethnic backgrounds or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the authoritarians within our government apparatus, right, would love nothing more than to be able to take down those guardrails and just pass their agenda through. And once through, what do you do when they're through the gates? What do you do? There is no going back. And that's why Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin matter. And that's why I would argue, ironically, they are saving multiple members of the Republican Party. Ironically. They're not just saving the Republic. They're saving the expose of or exposure of multiple members who would otherwise vote for this stuff. Now, we talked about this federal elections takeover bill that Kirsten Sinema basically put cold water on yesterday, right? Um, that right. was the other thing that happened. Um, Pat, that reminds me, maybe we should play some B or not to be before we get into this. Okay, let's do it. Let's do that.
All right. So today's headline is Congressman accidentally says that voting rights bills inspired by Hugo Chavez and Cesar Chavez. Congressman accidentally says that voting rights bills inspired by Hugo Chavez, Cesar Chavez. While you are thinking about that, folks, it is a great time to head over to AmericanPrideRoasters.com. Get yourself some historically great coffee from our fine friend DMX and DM and all the people involved with American Pride Roasters. It is great coffee. You can get some great flavored coffee, Burr Hamilton, the Betsy Ross, uh, Doc's Bacon Blast. Uh, You can get some of the best roasted, just regular old coffee. I love the Reagan, A Time to Choose. Um, George Washington is fantastic. Um, There's lots of really great things over there. The coffee drops, by the way. Très magnifique. I I absolutely love them. So go check it out at AmericanPrideRoasters.com, the official coffee of this program, and Mojo 5 Radio. Now, Pat, do you need the headline one more time? One more time. Congressman accidentally says that voting rights bill is inspired by Hugo Chavez, Cesar Chavez. Is that the B or not the B? That's my question to you. That that seems too realistic for it to be not the or it seems too realistic to be the Babylon B, so I'm gonna go with not the B. Inspired Hugo Chavez, Cesar Chavez. We're we're inspired by all of these leaders that's right pat you were correct that was democratic representative hakeem jeffries saying that the democrats voting rights bill was inspired by deceased venezuelan dictator hugo chavez now i'm pretty sure if you caught that that he didn't mean to say hugo and he meant to say caesar chavez uh but pat does that make it any better no no not 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 at all no I'm a little concerned that he actually did say that in the first place. Doesn't matter which name he dropped. A little concerned. Right. And what's next? Um, we're going to go with Che Guevara. Yosef Stalin. Benito Mussolini. By the way, uh, speaking of Benito Mussolini, Pat, I've I've been diving into some World War II podcasts as of late. Uh, uh-huh. I find the the history, especially leading into World War II, to be completely fascinating because uh-huh. most people don't know it. And most people have been told a lot of lies about how we got from World War I to World War II. The biggest of which is that we caused it, right? That our Treaty of Versailles is what caused that to happen. And, and that's a ne- neither here nor there moment. But when you bring up Mussolini, I, I happen to think of fascism, right? And uh, as I've listened to these podcasts, you know what I've discovered? Every single one of them has a very hard time coming up with what the hell fascism actually stands for. Oh, boy. Yep. So I I want people to think about that when we talk about the anti-fascist movement, right? Well, what are you actually anti? Because for a movement... To or to be anti something, there has to be something that it stands for. And a lot of these podcasts at the end of the day come up with basically fascism stands for whatever gains them power. That's not necessarily true. What isn't true? What part of that's not true? 
Um, because I mean, you're it's it's right in the sense that you know, yes, it could be to gain power, but isn't it about how they gain their power? So basically, the only other thing that they can come up with as an actual tenant, because if you mm -hmm. look at Benito Mussolini in in the fascist movement in the late like from 1920 to 1933, right? It right. took all sides of every issue. Every issue, it took all sides of it. So you hmm. can't have a movement of principles, right? What are the principles of fascism? Well, it turns out it's just power. It turns out that it's um, fighting socialists and communists. That's about it. So so could you make the argument that it's 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 gaining power for the sake of gaining power? Yes, and it, it's a power economically, politically, spiritually, all of those things. Right, you know, all it's, it's all aspects. And then, and then making sure that you maintain that power. However, even if you take all sides of you know all sides of economics, right? Even if you take uh, the nationalization of things, which is a socialized thing, right? And, right? and how do you flip it? Well, you you flip it. And say that it's nationalization, not socialization. All of those things. It's very fascinating to to think about. So, um, I would recommend checking out a couple of those podcasts because it it's interesting to think about being anti-fascist and, and what we've been taught about fascism. Right? We've been taught about the the brutality of Mussolini, and I'm not talking or saying that it was right or wrong. I'm just simply saying that we have a a mindset of what we think a fascist is, right? Right. And I don't know if the fascists would would agree with that definition of who they are, other than they are very brutal in making sure that their power stays their power. That's the part that I would say everybody is anti, right? Right. But I, I think it's very interesting um, because a lot of the people today who claim to be anti-fascists are really... I think anti-fascist because they are communists and socialists themselves. And fascism is diametrically opposed to communism and socialism. Ironically, they are at loggerheads, um, not because of any philosophical issue, but because one, one, uh, there are two different versions of power. Now, having said all of that, Pat, um, that's the quiet part out loud again, isn't it? A little bit. But I'm not shocked that that comes from Hakeem Jeffries, are you? No. Yeah, no. I mean, good freaking lord. The New York's 8th Congressional District. Parts of Brooklyn, parts of Queens in New York City. I, I, I'm shocked, I tell you. Absolutely shocked. That somebody from that part of the country and that part of New York City believes in socialism. I and mean, not only that, I, but the quiet part out loud would be what what part of the Voting Rights Act, by the way, would be inspired by Cesar Chavez or Hugo Chavez, right? What what are you trying to tell us? Like I don't understand why that would be a good thing. And in any way, shape, or form, why that would suggest that we're getting more rights. Or better rights. 
Because the history of all two of those men and all the people that you were thinking at that point in time about is bad. It actually creates less voting rights, less rights in general. None of those individuals, while you might have been free to vote however you wanted, none of those individuals actually gave them the freedom to vote. You vote for me or you die. That, that, that's how that worked. And that's not Cesar Chavez was not a freedom fighter. Um, it again, I I come back to isn't isn't is wasn't the whole point of this uh, gaining power for the sake of power. Speaking of which, Pat, mm-hmm. I think it's time for us to go back into some uncomfortable truths here. Okay, and. I I hinted at this uncomfortable truth earlier on. But the uncomfortable truth is that um, the uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, right? That program did not benefit the small business owner in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it actually benefited the wealthiest of the business owners out there. And therefore, uh, we still have an economy that is fragile because of it. That's the uncomfortable truth. I think I would agree with that. Because if you look, if you look back at the course of the pandemic, how many small to maybe even medium-sized businesses are no longer in existence? But yet all of your big box stores, all of your big corporations, all of the 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 people that they they claim to hate because you know they, they make so much money and they're the top one percent and they're not sharing their wealth are still in power, are still doing all of those things. Well, there's also Yeah, and there's also this study from MIT economist David Artur and nine different co authors. They examined the $800 billion paycheck, paycheck, PPP program. Let's just go there, right? Since I can't talk. But earlier this week, um, fee.org examined that. And um, now remember, it was supposed to give loans, most of which wouldn't have to be paid back if you met certain parameters, right? Like you hired everybody back and yada, 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 right? Well, the analysis by the MIT economist shows that, right, 93% of quote-unquote small businesses received loans from the program. How many jobs do you think it um, preserved, Pat? Not even created, but preserved. How many jobs out of that $800 billion PPP program? Um, I'm going to go with um, zero. Uh, well, it preserved two to three million jobs. Okay. But that would mean that it spent between 170 and 257,000 jobs, depending on if it's two or three million, right? For each job it held to preserve. I want you to think about that, Pat. How mm. many of us are earning between 170 and $257,000 a year? How many? Uh, 20%? I don't know. Nah, all right. No, no, no. Okay. no. Now, 
The study found, additionally, that only 23 to 34% of the program's dollars went to workers who would have otherwise lost their jobs. That means three quarters of the dollars spent went where, Pat? To business owners' pockets. Right. The authors have concluded that the program's benefits were, quote, highly regressive, meaning it benefited the wealthy more with about 75% of the benefits flowing up to the top 20% of wage earners. Does all of this sound like an effective use of $800 billion in taxpayer money? No. Unbelievable, Pat. So the uncomfortable truth in that is twofold. Number one, the PPP program didn't protect the paycheck of the small workers, the the people who were in industries completely shut down, right? Didn't protect them at all. It gave a parachute to people for a few months, and then, uh-oh. Like, for instance, the company that I worked for, right? We were all on furlough for about two months, just as that PPP money was about to uh, go out, and um, then we were all be gone. How many people suffered that fate, right? How many of those um, restaurant workers and barkeeps and all of that, right, lost jobs permanently? They preserved two to three million jobs. That's it. How many people applied for unemployment at the height of it? Some 40 million people? Something like that. I was going to say it's a pretty high number. We spent almost a trillion dollars to preserve two to three million. All courtesy, by the way, of your GOP. Now, Pat, do you have another uncomfortable truth? I do. And I actually was thinking about this um, from the first half of the show. I want to go back to foreign policy for just a second. Okay. And I want to go back to specifically what's going on with Ukraine and Taiwan right now. And right now, the United States is an an entangled ally between the Ukraine and Taiwan against China, against Russia. I want to throw out this question because I think this could be an uncomfortable truth because they are entangled alliances that I don't know that either of, of which benefits our country right now and i don't know that it's a good idea for us to go to war with either russia or china over either of those countries so the uncomfortable truth might be if russia and and china want to take that those respective countries the united states given the state the sad state of leadership that we have okay and this is what that's contingent upon is we don't we don't really have a fit leader to lead us in either of those situations we have to sit this one out hmm okay so i think these are two separate issues for me that's fair um i agree with you that we have a leader who's not fit to command hmm. And I also think that we have a command structure full of woke leftists who are more interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion than they are in winning a damn war. But 
So there's really three issues. That's number one. Number two is Taiwan is different than Ukraine. Ukraine is different than Taiwan. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I would argue that we have a much, much greater economic reason for us to watch what's happening with um, China and, and Taiwan. And here's why. Who makes our computers? Who makes all of those things? Who make? Right. Who has the ability to do that, right? A lot of that stuff comes from there. You're right. Comes from Taiwan. And it comes from China, too, by the way. Right. So, yes, we are walking a delicate balance, right? Foxconn is a Taiwanese company. And they they have a lot of access to the rare earth metals and, and all of those things, right, that, that produce our microchips and semiconductors and all of those things. So it is in our interest to make sure that China does not have control over that. Because they already, by the way, with Apple producing a lot of their equipment now in China instead of Taiwan, um, what happens? They have the biggest company in the world over a barrel if they control Taiwan. That's a problem. It is a problem. It's an absolute problem. Now, secondly, Ukraine. I would agree with you. Now, the only thing that I would say is that if Russia controls Ukraine, it controls that natural gas pipeline that is so, so important into uh, the rest of Eastern and some of Western Europe, right? And that's a problem, but it's not our problem. That's a problem for Europe to handle. And it's time for Europe to do its own thing. Can, can we back them up? Potentially. Could we give them maybe, let's say, use the CIA, right? Maybe that can be where, where we come in. But at the end of the day, is this our fight? What strategic importance does Ukraine actually hold for us economically, politically? I don't know. And at some point in time, if you're unwilling to fight and you're unwilling to stand up for yourself, what what is Russia aggressing against us in Ukraine? At, at the moment, they're not. At the moment, they're not. So so here's here's my contingent though. Like like, I so I understand what you're saying about Taiwan. I understand what you're saying about Ukraine, and I and I agree with you. Now there's another part of Taiwan that I didn't get to, but continue your point first. Um, I I agree with you on all of those points. My point is because of. The leadership that we currently have in this country, that it would actually be a horrible thing for us to go to war with China or Russia or both, because I I don't know that they could lead us to victory in either of those scenarios. I'm not saying I'm not saying that we shouldn't get involved under different leadership. I'm saying under this current president and his foreign policy, it is a very, very bad idea, and it would take us to a very, very dark place. And I don't know that we would come out on the other side all the better for it. Hmm. Okay, I see your point. Um, I just happen to think you have to have that fight because it's not just Taiwan. And here's the other part that we didn't get to, is that mm-hmm. if they control Taiwan, they control the entire South China Sea. They control oh, yeah. it all. You're right. And that ain't good. So mm. I, I think regardless, it's a fight we have to have. And because I, without it, 
I mean, I, I, I sadly think it is. I think it is in our. So how how would this apply to the non-aggression principle? I would look at it this way. A violation of Taiwan's sovereignty is a violation of our non-aggression principle. You have aggressed against somebody who we do have an entangled alliance with. Now, I would agree that I believe fully that we shouldn't have an entangling alliance, that our alliance should be purely economic in nature, right? That our alliance has nothing to do with providing them with tanks and planes and drones and blah, 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 blah. You're perfectly capable, if we're trading economically with you at the levels that we are, of doing this yourself. That's fair. I just, and I, I agree with you from a foreign <clears throat> policy and a strategic standpoint and, and all of this, I, I agree. I just, I do not trust this administration to properly lead us through this. I don't. Right. And I think that's a separate issue. Mm. So, you know, what, what kind of a rock and a hard place here, right? Like, what do right. we do? We can't not have this fight, but our leadership sucks. And that's a part of the reason why I didn't want to vote for Joe Biden anyway, right? Is that right. <clears throat> here's the reality. He has been wrong on every single foreign policy matter his entire life. And yesterday, he wouldn't even admit that there was anything wrong with what happened with our pullout in Afghanistan, right? Not a single. He wouldn't say sorry. Wouldn't say, should this be illegal is my question to you. Uh, because this, this feels... Okay, let me let me rephrase. This feels like it should be. So here's the part that I, I agree with you on, is mm -hmm. that using the funds of Midas Touch mm -hmm. to create content for Patriot Takes should be illegal. Because what you are doing is using money from a super PAC for non- political candidacy hit pieces, right? This would be right. one thing if Patriot Takes was producing this for, you know, let's say David Perdue versus Stacey Abrams, right? And they're they're going after David right. Perdue. Okay. I think that's fair game. But this is this is a yes public figure, but also still a private citizen. Right? He's not running for office. He's yeah. not running for office. Exactly. What this is all about is an attempt to take down Joe Rogan and therefore become the the wealthiest of the super PACs of the left, right? That's what this is all about. Because can you imagine the clout that you would have if you took down Joe Rogan? Well, that's true. But, but here's the thing, though. Like, aren't they kind of almost, I mean, Joe Rogan's not really like a, a Democrat or anything per se, but he is more left-leaning. Um, aren't they kind of eating their own? Yep. It just seems a little backwards to me. Um but this I mean obviously this is this is about this is about more than just Joe Rogan himself. I mean Spotify actually came out and did say that you know they're not going to cancel Joe Rogan. Right, to their credit. Um, but right. But the reason that they're doing it is much the same as the reason that GoFundMe did what they did, right? In deciding that they're going to just fully issue a refund. It's it because of their bottom line. It would kill their bottom line if they attempted to censor Joe Rogan in any real significant way, shape, or form, right? Mm. Because here's the reality. Joe Rogan agreed to taking those those episodes down that have been taken down, which is, that's his prerogative, right? 
He owns right. his content, allegedly. Right. So what would happen, right? You and I, the pressure the other way would be so much greater on, on Spotify. Canceling memberships, the amount of podcasts, right, which are the number one growing um, force in monetization of media, right? Uh, Spotify, Spotify doesn't make its money off of you and I um, going ad free, right? Right. Okay. It doesn't make its money off of that. It makes its money off of being able to advertise on the podcasts that exist all over its various platforms. It owns Megaphone. It owns Anchor. It own you know. So it, you you distribute your podcast. You're likely on on Spotify, and they're likely able to monetize it. And long story short here, if everybody started pulling their podcast feed from Spotify or pulling from Megaphone or Anchor or whomever is hosting, right, and pulling it, that hurts their bottom line more than me and you canceling a subscription. It does. So they have done that calculation, and that's the calculation they should come up with, right? Is wait a minute. I'm I'm going to stand with uh, supporting free speech on this platform in 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 his financial dealings. Do anything wrong or illegal. Well, what's your definition of wrong? If they don't do something you don't like, now right. we're going to get mass protestation. This is, and I hate using these analogies, Pat. I really do. But this is every tin pot dictator in the history of the world. This is how they act. My supporters, my supporters, my supporters. This has nothing. Not worth it. Not worth it. Just refund the money. So at the end of the day here, what is the lesson, right? The lesson of today. Know what your principles are. Stand up with those principles and be unafraid. And then be prepared, right? It's okay. You might suffer some sort of consequence temporarily, right? You might have the heat of Twitter for six days or five days or whatever. And it could be intense. It, it, that's a simple fix, though. It's called turn off Twitter. Exactly. And with that, Pat, your final thoughts today. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And uh, thank a trucker. Let's go, Brandon. Please be smart. Be safe. Be kind. As always, Matthew 547. He's pretending. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.